Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang tamang sanghang namasami One of the um, teachings of Lumpur Cha I was re- recollecting uh, uh, when I was uh, there in Thailand very recently, and um, which came up in a, a couple of uh, Dhamma talks, uh, was a, a couple of dialogues that are um, featured in a way form the title of uh, this little book of, of Lumpur Cha's sayings called No Ajahn Cha. And uh, the first of these uh, these dialogues, these short encounters, um, somebody comes to Ajahn Chah and uh, asks the question, "Who is Ajahn? Who is Ajahn Chah?" And he says, "This one. This is Ajahn Chah." And then uh, the second dialogue, uh, a different person comes and says uh, the same question asks the same question. Who is Ajahn Chah? And he said, there is no Ajahn Chah. This is a a cause for reflection. Someone who is a a Buddhist monk, we're professional truth-tellers, we're not supposed to say things that are false. So uh, what did he mean when he said, there is no Ajahn Chah? Similarly, on a a different occasion, uh, also in the same little... uh, collection of teachings, uh, somebody asked him, uh, how old are you? Do you live here all, at Wat Bapong all the time? To which he responded, I have no age, and I don't live anywhere. Uh, and again, you, know, you think he's a, uh, he's a Buddhist monk, um, and uh, we are uh, supposed to be truthful. Uh, so what can he mean when he says, I have no age, and I don't live anywhere? And the uh, uh, the reflection on these uh, these exchanges is such that uh, someone, the first person who asked the question, yeah, "Who's Ajahn Chah?" and he saw that that person had a a, a fairly uh, sort of straightforward and worldly understanding of uh, Buddhist teachings and practice, and so he he gave a very um, uh, say. Uh, mundane answer, and an answer based on mundane perceptions of uh, "I'm here, you're there." Today is the the full moon day. It's uh, it's Wednesday, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so responded in terms of conventional truth. The uh, uh, the sacha, the conventional reality. You know, this 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 person here. This is this is Ajahn Chah. But then um, the uh, the second person, or the the the, uh, the later questions of uh, who, uh, asking the question, "Who is Ajahn Chah?" Then he responded, seeing that the uh, the the level of, of understanding or inside experience of the, the second person was a bit different, and they they had developed more of a 
wisdom faculty. Then he spoke from the the uh, uh, lokutara or the, um, the 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 ultimate the position of ultimate reality or the ultimate truth of things, and saying, "Yeah, there is no Ajahn Chah." You know that what we what we use the words Ajahn Chah to refer to. This is yeah. Uh, these are, these words are just a, a convenient fiction. They're a, a means of, of speaking together, but you can't pin, uh, you can't genuinely and fully, completely pin down uh, what a, a being is. You can't define what uh, a being is, and that uh, the if the mind is not identified with the body, with the personality, uh, then you you can't say that that's what that person is. Uh, that makes sense. So when the, the, the Buddha was having a similar dialogue with um, a monk called Anuradha, and uh, uh, then the, uh, the Buddha was asking and questioning Anuradha, saying, um, uh, and speaking about this, this principle of, of that, uh, that presence of uh, reality of things being unapprehendable, not graspable in in terms of, of words or ideas, then uh, he asked Anuradha. So uh, they were sitting face to face, and the, the Buddha said, "So Anuradha, do you see the Tathagata? You know, to, which is the word the Buddha used to refer to himself. Do you see the Tathagata as as being the the body of feelings, perceptions? Uh, do you see him as being the five khandhas?" And Radha said, "No, I don't." Then also, do you see the Tathagata as having the five khandhas? Uh, no, then also I don't. Do you see the Tathagata as not having the five khandhas? No, then also I don't. Do you see the Tathagata as being inside the five within the five khandhas? No, then also I don't. Do you see the Tathagata as being outside the five khandhas, apart from them? No, then also I do not. And the Buddha said, so, Anuradha, even uh, with the Tathagata sitting right here in front of you, that uh, you acknowledge that he's, uh, he is unapprehendable, uh, then uh, the, this is a, uh, uh, a principle to, to bear in mind. Anuradha had been having a, a, dialogue with some, a dialogue with some other spiritual teachers, and uh, the Buddha was so clarifying to him that, you know, you can't, Define what uh, an, uh, the Buddha is, or what an enlightened being actually is, in terms of uh, the body, personality, feelings, uh, personal stories, personal qualities. So this might all sound very kind of uh, remote, or, or strange, or, or impractical, but uh, I would say these are, are really very, very you know, useful and, and helpful teachings for us. Because we continually define ourselves as being a woman, being a man, being a, a monk or a nun or a layperson, being a, a, say a certain number of years old or coming from a particular country or having a, a certain life story. You know, you have uh, the uh, the family you were born into, the name that you have, or the the school that you you studied at, the the exams you passed, the exams you failed, the the, the places you've been, the uh, the story that we carry around, and we we automatically say, "This is who and what we are." I, I am this. I am. I am a man. I am a woman. I am sixty-one years old. I am a Theravada Buddhist. I am a 
I'm a monk. And all those I am's we take as being completely automatic, completely say uh, taken for granted as being completely true. Well, I am a Theravada Buddhist. I am a bhikkhu. <laughs> I'm the abbot of the monastery. How could I be the abbot of the monastery if I wasn't a, if I wasn't a monk? But what these teachings are pointing to is that monk, abbot, woman, man, uh, old, young, these are, are simply uh, samuti satya. These are conventional truths that we, we use to designate uh, the different aspects of our experience and, and for convenience. So we say uh, today is, uh, is Wednesday the 27th of June and on our calendar this is the full moon day. In somebody else's calendar, maybe tomorrow is the full moon day, or yesterday is the full moon day. It's just uh, quite often happens, actually. <laughs> in uh, in uh, let's see, it's ten to nine in the evening. So uh, in Thailand, it's already Thursday. Yeah, here it's Wednesday. <laughs> so what day is it today? What is, what day is it now? Depends where you are. So. The, this perspective uh, that uh, Lumpur Chao is pointing to in that comment, or the Buddha was pointing to in his dialogue with Anuradha, is not just trying to be clever or be, be sort of, um, uh, say, evasive in some, in some, uh, in some way, but rather pointing to the, the, the limitations that, the, and the, the, uh, See, the, the stressful quality, the limiting quality of our habitual beliefs and judgments, our, our thoughts and perceptions. So when Ajahn Chah said, you know, I don't have an age and I don't live anywhere, then he, it's, uh, obviously that, that body was born, you know, 1918, around about the 17th of June in Bangkok, uh, something happened, <laughs> a baby was born, uh, but then to say yeah, to recognize if we if we apply the Buddha's teaching and the insight that arises from the development of wisdom that the, uh, the say the uh, the recognition of the uh, qualities of anicca dukkha anatta of, uh, of, uh, of uncertainty of change of unsatisfactoriness of not self yeah. If there is that uh, reflection, you know, the body is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self, mental formations are not self, uh, consciousness is not self, then what does that say about this body? What does that say about uh, where, where we come from? What does that say about our, our, our kind of ancestry? So uh, that insight into self-view is also called a change of lineage because you can say, oh, uh, Lumpur Chao was born from his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Chuang Chot, in Bangor, in uh, in northeast Thailand, uh, in uh, Ubon province. But if the body is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self, mental formations, uh, consciousness are not self, then if that body and that personality is not who and what he is, then um, to uh, to define or to limit uh uh, that quality of presence to say, uh, oh, this, uh, this was, uh, this person was born, uh, on this day. That's when they came into being. That can only be a partial truth. It can only be a half truth. If you, if you follow that. 
It can't be the whole story. That's why it's called a change of lineage. If the body is not self, feelings are not self, uh, perceptions are not self, and, and so on, then what does that talk? What does that say about our parentage? It's called a change of lineage because biologically these bodies came from our, our parents and the DNA that uh, we've inherited from them. But if the body's not self, <laughs> then what does that say about? Uh, the, the origins of, of what is, of what, what we are in, in, uh, in the uh, fundamental reality of things. So these, these teachings are, are, are very profound, but very practical and very helpful. So when Ajahn Chah says, I, I don't have an age and I wasn't born anywhere, in a sense, he's uh, speaking, it's really a Dhamma Desana, it's a, it's a the, the Dhamma speaking. Desana means a demonstration of the Dhamma. So Dhamma Desana doesn't just mean a, sitting on a big chair and giving a talk. <laughs> Dhamma Desana is a demonstration of Dhamma. It's an embodiment of Dhamma. So at that moment, that was a real Dhamma Desana. Saying, yeah, the, uh, saying, yeah, I don't have an age and I don't live anywhere. It's saying, you know, the Dhamma doesn't have an age and it doesn't, it doesn't abide anywhere. Just like in the, the chanting that, that we do, the, um, about the the unconditioned, the atibikawe ajatang abutang akatang asankatang, because there is the uh, the unborn, the unoriginated, the un uh, the uncreated, the unformed. So at that moment, when Ajahn Chah is saying, "I don't have an age, I don't I don't live anywhere," he's simply saying yeah, that the Dhamma is not born. The Dhamma is is timeless, ajati. It's it's unborn. Uh, Amata, deathless. Yeah, these are qualities of the Dhamma. Akaliko, timeless. So, in that moment, it's the Dhamma speaking. It's a Dhamma desana, a genuine Dhamma desana, rather than you know, the when the, if the mind is more identified with being a personality and being a human and sitting up on the chair and speaking, <laughs> that's a kind of a, at least a conventional Dhamma desana, but it might not be a a. a, a a uh, genuine and complete dhamma desana in its uh, the fullest sense of the word, if that makes if that makes sense. Or when we, we reflect on this, and we take that principle to mind, and uh, the, say that what, who, and what what we are, uh, the, the fundamental reality of things, then uh, then it, it changes the perspective. It changes the way this mind relates to thought and to feeling, to experience, to this life story, and that uh, uh, the uh, the way that we define what we are, yeah, it changes. Or did the the, uh, the purpose of insight meditation and the development of wisdom, the development of and that quality of awakened awareness is more and more to free the heart from its habitual identifications with the body, with the personality, with our personal possessions, our stories, our physical location, or feelings of comfort or discomfort, but to see these all in terms of nature rather than in terms of self. So that uh, like, uh, in that sutta that I, I've been quoting a lot over recent months, which again I, I feel is very closely related to this the particular quality of wisdom that Lumpur Chah is referring to, but uh, is uh, similarly very, very helpful, uh, insightful. And the Buddha, uh, the Buddha says, you know, uh, the the Tathagata, the uh, 
referring to himself, but also that you can say that when he uses the word Tathagata, he's referring to the awake mind, the awakened awareness. So the Tathagata uh, is liberated from being reckoned in terms of the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. The Tathagata has abandoned any material form, any feelings, any perceptions, any mental formations, ideas or emotions or thoughts, any kind of consciousness uh, that where one who's trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him. So that if you say the Buddha is tall, or the Buddha is male, the Buddha is from uh, Nepal, or the Buddha is wise, or the Buddha is kind, then he's saying in that statement that the, the awake mind has absolutely no attachment, is not identified with any of those qualities. He doesn't say those qualities don't exist. He doesn't say, no, uh, you know, I wasn't born in Kapilawatu, or no, I'm not male, or no, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not wise or kind. He's not negating those qualities as being, um, say, appro- uh, relevant descriptions. But he's saying that there's, there's absolutely no attachment, no identification with those. Uh, and he uses this succession of, of phrases. He, he says that the target has, has cut it off, cut it off at the root, made it like a palm tree stump, uh, deprived it of the conditions of existence, and rendered it incapable of arising in the future. So that quality of wisdom, that awakened awareness, is completely, uh, uh, say, unentangled, is completely unattached, unidentified with the body of feelings, emotions, with personal stories, personal feelings and perceptions. So it's there, those perceptions, the body is there, the personality is there, the stories are, are, are there, they're here. But that aware, awake mind is fully attentive to them, it fully knows them, but it's completely unidentified. And there's this kind of dramatic or, or kind of strong language he uses, like the bridge is down, it's broken, there's no connection, cut off at the root, made like a palm tree stump of a, of a palm tree is cut, it can't grow again, it's not like a chestnut tree or... Or a willow that'll sort of, or a redwood tree that'll grow up from its roots. No, if a palm tree is cut, then that's it, finito. It doesn't grow anymore. Made like a palm tree stump, deprived of the conditions of existence, and rendered incapable of arising in the future. Then he goes on to say that a targeta, that awake, aware mind, is liberated from being reckoned in terms of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. You can't. You can't describe that awake, aware quality by borrowing any kind of description from the normal aspects of, of body and mind and personality that we that we use in an everyday sense. But then he goes on to say, uh, he is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. So that quality of, of the Tathagata, of the awake, aware mind, the, the Buddha mind, the Puru in Thai language, uh, that is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable. So there's a quality, there's an isness, just like when the, the Buddha speaks about the, the, the nature of ultimate reality in that sutta. Ati bhikkhuwe, ajatang, abhutang, akatang, asankatang. Ati bhikkhuwe, there is. <laughs> but it's, it's significant, as, as often pointed out, that the, the way the verb to be that the Buddha uses in that sutta, in that teaching, ati bhikkhuwe, that's a, a quality of being that is of a whole different order than saying today is Wednesday or this is, we are in Amaravati, this is, my name is Ajahn Amara. That kind of 
mundane quality of being or isness is uh, pertaining to the relative truth. But the, the, the verb ati is referring to a timeless truth or a, 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 a fundamental reality. It's a, a quality of, of isness that is of a whole different order. And so the Buddha used that, that verb uh, from time to time to refer to this, uh, these actualities, like you know, the, 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 the Dhamma is uh, the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed. So uh, again, this can sound like very, very highfalutin language or very kind of uh, far out and, and distant. But uh, I feel it's very, very helpful to us to, to reflect on these, these qualities and to see that the purpose of, of insight meditation, the development of wisdom, is freeing that quality of awareness that is the, that's the, the engine of our experience. That's the very means whereby we experience anything. This, in this moment, what is knowing this, the sound of my voice or feeling the weight of your body on the, on the cushion or the chair that feels the, the temperature of the air on your skin that, that is processing, uh, that is knowing emotions of confusion or in, inspiration or sleepiness or, or discomfort or uh, whatever it might be. That, that, uh, me, that, that kind of engine of experience, if you like, the means whereby anything is experienced at it, in its most pure and essential uh, quality is that that uh, that very vicha, that very uh, awake, aware knowing, but that gets overlaid, that gets covered over by the the habits of attachment. The all the I am. So you know, I am sleepy, or I am a man, or I'm a, I'm a lay person. I'm a, I'm understanding this. I'm not understanding this. Uh, uh, I'm really uh, enjoying being here. I'm really fed up with being here. <laughs> All of the 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 I am's, uh, the stories that we uh, and perceptions that that uh, are uh, believe are bought into and believed in and, and grasped and identified with, they are continually creating uh, layers of of uh, of obscuration, kind of, la- kind of layers and layers of wrapping around that quality of awareness. So then that that quality of knowing is filtered. Uh, it's uh, obscured and and obstructed, it's clouded by the habits of self-view, the habits of believing in our opinions, believing in our emotions, believing in our our thoughts and our, our, uh, say, uh, taking our perceptions and our likes and dislikes as being absolutely real. So if we we have this principle clarified that uh, that which... (coughs) As I was mentioning this morning at the the breakfast time reflection here, that which knows the person is not a person. <laughs> it's a, a simple way of, of say putting this all together. Uh, so we can use we can we can use this kind of high uh, highfalutin high minded language of the suttas, or uh, it can seem very far away or remote. But just take take a simple phrase like that which knows the person is not a person. Yeah, that the the mind is not a person. The mind is dhamma. The mind is an as a aspect of, of nature, an attribute of nature. It's not. It's not an I. It's, it's not a self. It doesn't belong to, to a self. 
It's not a, a person. To just to take a simple phrase like that, the, the mind is not a person, or a phrase like the mind is Dhamma, then hold that up as a counterpoint to the, yeah, but you don't know my mind, and I'm really uncomfortable, and, and I've got all kinds of problems, and you know, I've got these health issues, and... <laughs> And uh, you know, if I only wasn't like this, if I was just like that, then everything would be much better. You know, all those uh, uh, stories that we we tell ourselves, or the, the the kind of habitual perceptions. I spent years and years. Uh, I was talking about this recently with with someone uh, in Thailand, and I said, uh, and I, uh, I realized, you know, I spent years and years with the with this strong emotion. If only I was somebody else, everything would be fine. Just anything but this one, anything but Amaro, <laughs> anything. <laughs> anyway, if I was just not this, it would be great. And that was a really kind of strong and re- re- uh, sort of repeated perception. Over and over again, I get this feeling, even though when you looked at it, it was ridiculous. Uh, but it would be this, this, this feeling of, oh, if only I wasn't me, everything would be great. And that, uh, <clears throat> so we, we can, Take a simple reflection like that. Yeah, the 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 mind is not a person, or the the, the mind is dhamma, and hold that up as a as a counterpoint, as a sort of a different way of looking at this body, this mind. Yeah. The uh, another of Lumpacha's frequent uh, frequently used phrases was to say, uh, "Dhamma is nature, nature is is dhamma," and the the Pali word Dhamma Jati uh, is the uh, born of the Dhamma, is the, the basis of the Thai word for nature, Tamachat. Say so something is natural or something is part of nature, you say Tamachat is Dhamma Jati, born of the Dhamma. So when we look at this body, this mind, whatever our, our name happens to be, whether we're a layperson or a monastic, a woman or a man, uh, old or young, what part of this body, this mind, any aspect of your life is not a part of nature. Uh, yeah, our, our bodies, any aspect of the body that is not part of nature, say, well, I've got a steel hip, Ajahn. <laughs> well, the steel in your hip is also part of nature. Yeah. Well, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a plastic hearing aid. <laughs> well, the, the plastic hearing aid is also, uh, the plastic came out of some oil field somewhere in the, the, the the copper wires have come up probably out of a, a mine in Africa, <laughs> put together by human ingenuity. But even human ingenuity, human cleverness, and skill—these are all aspects of, of nature. They're all different uh, attributes of the natural order. We put them together, and we call them, uh, say, a you know, microphone or you know, these robes woven by by people. This you know, glass that was made by people, but if we look, every aspect of of our body, our mind, and uh, the world around us, every there, there is no thing that is outside of nature. How could it be? Either physical or mental and spiritual. Every single aspect of our world, uh, of this life of ours, and and the physical world we live in, is part of the natural order. It's all dhamma jati. It's all. Uh, born of the Dhamma, it's all of that that nature. So, if every aspect of the body and mind is uh, an aspect of of nature, 
That's including your, your angry feelings, your jealous feelings, your selfish feelings, your lustful feelings, your doubting feelings, your feelings that haven't even got a name for, for them. There's <laughs> nameless feelings. They're, every single one of them is part of the, the natural order. We, we, we can't experience anything that is not natural. It's all part of, of nature. So then when you use a phrase like... Uh, the, uh, the the mind is Dhamma, or the, the mind is not a person, then it's holding up that perspective. It's helping us to, to see things from a, a different perspective, where the habit is to make it very personal. I've got a problem with being sleepy. I've got a, 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 a difficult illness. I've got a conflict with this particular monk. You know, I have a... Uh, a big uh, kind of burden in my heart, carrying around some kind of painful memory from the past, or I've got a huge debt I have to pay. You know? And we think, well, no, that's 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 not part of nature. That's my problem, or my issue, or my uh, my responsibility. And we put it into a different category. We we make it personal. We we make the uh, these different aspects of our life, our world, our experience. We we make it very very personal. And by the unconscious uh, belief in the, the, that, the value system of that, the unconscious belief that, no, I have got a lot of jealousy. I, I really am insecure. <laughs> I, yeah, I have got a problem complaining about everybody. <laughs> yeah. Or I have got, a, uh, I have got an illness. You know, uh, or I, uh, I am this way. Or I, I have got these responsibilities. Yeah, this, is, this is the case. So yes, there's thing like to say today. Yeah, it, we're in the UK, and today is Wednesday. <laughs> it is thirteen minutes past nine in the evening. Uh, yeah, that it, it, that is the case, but it's not the whole story. So that it's uh, so much of the practice is bringing the attention to those habitual judgments and beliefs, and the the way we identify with our emotions and our opinions, our our stories, and to you really apply that wise reflection that says, well, yeah, that's the case to some degree, or it's one way of looking at it, but that's not the whole story. It can't be the whole story. And then when that reflection is applied, notice what happens in the heart. Notice how there's a, oh, there's a, a loosening, an expanding. Even if it's just for half a second, something in the heart goes, oh. And before the, you know, the the complaining or the doubting mind says, yeah, yeah, but you don't know my mind. Yeah, well, this is different. This is, this is a real problem. <laughs> this, this isn't going to go away with some kind of just sort of, some sort of, you can't weasel, you can't weasel out of this one <laughs> with some sort of so-called wise reflection. This is a real problem and it's your duty to worry about it. Yeah. And that, uh, to be able to recognize, yeah, even that kind of a, a doubting thought or a, a, a sort of a determination in the mind to hang on to something. Say, well, that the mind that is saying, ah, you can't weasel out of it like that. No, this is a real problem. You can't. You've got to. You got to. Um, this really is who and what you are. To recognize, well, that that thought in the mind that say that's saying this is really who and what you are. That's also part of nature. That's also another pattern of experience, like. The sound of a voice or the feeling in, uh, of 
your body on a cushion is just another pattern of nature arising, doing its thing and passing away. So <clears throat> that readiness to, to bring the, the quality of, of awakened awareness to our experience, the perceptions moment by moment, and particularly to see uh, uh, the effect of that when we bring that quality of wise reflection to the attachments, the identifications, the fears, the opinions, the, when that is really brought, that quality of wise reflection is brought to those attachments, those identifications, and to notice that uh, even if it's a, uh, just for a very short period of time, half a second, quarter of a second, that moment of, oh, that's, that's the thing to trust. And so this is what, for myself, I've used a lot, and, and I encourage in others that before the, the thinking mind jumps in and starts making more, creating more confusion and <laughs> reassembling the attachments, that moment of, oh, look at that. That's, that, that moment is the, the, the quality of wisdom is genuinely being able to a, uh, bring a true perspective. It's, it enables the, the, that mind to see things in, in their true light. That, that in that moment, that quality of awakened awareness is, is unobscured. It's unfiltered. It's, it's seeing clearly. It's knowing clearly. Like when I, I use a phrase like, you know, the mind is not a person. Maybe before the doubting uh, or the, the, your, your own usual narratives jump in, to hear a phrase like that, you know, the mind is not a person. Oh, oh yeah, that's all wrong. <laughs> in that moment before the thinking mind jumps in, and says, oh, that's all wrong, that can't be true. That's... In that moment of, oh, there's something in the heart that has recognized, that's right. We, that we, we create the person. The person is continually created, recreated, and, uh, and assembled. If you don't assemble it, there isn't a person. Like when uh, Ajahn Chah say, uh, "Who's Ajahn Chah?" Uh, he said, "There is no Ajahn Chah." He was he would say at that, at that moment the person had not been assembled, <laughs> or was not being assembled. So I've been doing a lot of traveling in the last few months, uh, six countries uh, since the middle of April. So uh, I've, from time to time I've had that experience of waking up in the morning and and having that sense of, which country is this? <laughs> Where am I? It's a, probably most of us have had that from time to time, different situations. When you wake up, you think, where am I? But uh, also, for, uh, even uh, more rarely, uh, when you you when when you wake up from a sleep, sometimes it's not even where am I, but what am I? Any of you ever had that experience, where the, there's the mind is awake, but you're not quite sure what you are. And you have to assemble the person. And sort of, oh right, yes, yes, oh right, human, yes. <laughs> Here I am. Oh right, and it kind of, like the pieces of the puzzle get put together and he <coughs> comes alive, you know, just, just like sort of add hot, add hot water and serve, you know. Just, you kind of, but in that moment, I feel it's, even though you're maybe half awake, but the, it's an, it's an interesting moment because there's awakeness, uh, the mind is alert to the present, but the person has not been created. 
it's a sort of an effect of the sleep process rather than the uh, enlightened wisdom. <laughs> but it's it's revealing in itself that there, there's awake. The you know the mind is wide awake, but there's no the person has not been assembled. The body is lying there in a bed, yeah. but the person hasn't been assembled, hasn't been created, and then the the memory kicks in and the, there's a sort of sight of a particular room or configuration of placing it and then the person gets gets reassembled but what what were you in that moment before the person was was compounded before the person was put together what are you what what's here or oh, in the med- in the meditation when the when there's a moment of of insight of clarity when there's a, a letting go of a, a train of thought uh, just as I've been describing it, when there, 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 there's that recognition of oh, this, there's a thought, there's a memory, but the memory doesn't have an owner. That which knows the memory isn't a person; it's just remembering. Oh, so in that that same uh, uh, say falling away of a of an attachment of an identification, it's exactly the same as that experience of, of waking up in some. A strange place of not being anything or being anybody. That a mind is alert to the present, but it's not. Uh, it's not the owner of those 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 thoughts or those emotions. It's not the owner of memories. It's not the uh, the the doer of an action. But it, there's an awareness of, of that. But it's that which knows the person is not a person. It's uh, it's awake. It knows. <laughs> It's it's a it's an it of some kind, <laughs> but uh, the more that the mind tries to conceive uh, or takes that oh I am awakened awareness that's what I am, <laughs> then it can that it can just be a thought a label that the, the the grasping mind takes hold of and and gets born into, and the point is not having the perfect label or the idea of who and what we are, but being awake, being being. That very quality of of uh, awareness, being dhamma, as uh, Lumpacha would put it. Oh, one of the the aspects of this that is really uh, most significant, and I feel is one of the the great blessings of community life, is that uh, we easily get lost in our own perceptions. We buy into our own stories, feelings of success or failure, gain and loss, happiness and unhappiness. This is, this is natural for us. We have particular roles and duties and relationships that, uh, for every one of us, whether we're a woman or a man or old or young, a monk or a layperson, uh, yeah, uh, the Anagarika, Anagarika, yeah, Samanera, uh, wherever we were a day visitor, maybe this is the first time you've ever visited Amravati, maybe you've been living here for 20 years, uh, whatever. But if we are, um, say, absorbed in our own story, our own activities, our own responsibilities, then we, we lose perspective. There's always going to be things that we don't notice that the mind is identified with, habits that that uh, we're following because it, like a rut that the mind is in that we don't realize it's a rut because nothing is is giving a, a perspective on that 
So this is one of the great blessings of community life, also one of the great challenges of community life, is that uh, by living together with, with a lot of other people, we keep meeting uh, other minds that are in, that are in different ruts, <laughs> or that will say, you know, <laughs> you're you're really in a rut. <laughs> You're really you're really stuck on this. Where we don't we're not seeing it for ourselves, but our companions will wouldn't recognize. God, you're looking really, really excited or really uptight or like you you're you're looking very worried about something. What, what's what's up? Worried? I'm, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then you realize by hearing the sound of your own voice, I don't sound very fine. <laughs> In fact, I I, I I sound pretty uh, pretty off balance. Oh, maybe maybe that's true. So that is one of the the wonderful blessings of um, community life, is that we are able to get a perspective on the areas of of identification and attachment that we don't even realize are there. Things that we um, we where we are we're caught up and we we have no idea that it's an attachment. And we, um, because nothing is challenging that, or nothing is is of brought to bear on that, then um, we uh, we are una, uh, unaware of the the dependent the dependency the mind has on it. How much the mind is relying on things. As when I, I was in Thailand and someone was talking to me, he says, "Well, you know, I don't really see much." point in in, uh, in kind of med- uh, meditation and uh, I don't feel I really need to do that you know I, I've got a pretty good perspective on life and uh, you know my my, my I've got a, a good job and you know my family is very supportive and helpful and I just don't really see the need to kind of sit down and meditate uh, you know go on retreats and those kind of things because you know that I feel like things are things are pretty balanced and that uh, everything is kind of okay so this was a, a, at a, um, one of the, the Dhamma talks I was giving in, in Thailand, and uh, uh, I think it was at the Chevron Corporation. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you know, I didn't know this person at all, but uh, I thought, well, I'll just sort of shake things up a bit. And I said, well, yeah, it, it can feel that way, and you can, you know, we can feel like, yeah, my life is is pretty. You know, I'm pretty got a pretty good perspective. On my life, I said, but what uh, what happens? Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I was probably stepping outside the bounds of what was quite polite for a for a bhikkhu in a dhamma talk. <laughs> but uh, uh, I thought, well, you know, why not? So I said, well, you know, you could find that you could get a phone call from um, the person who who uh, was your wife this morning and telling you that she you know, she's now gone off with somebody else and that uh, she's asking for a divorce. You know, what do you mind? Yeah, what, would your mind be quite comfortable with that, or, or maybe uh, you you come home from this dhamma talk and your son tells you that he wants to have a sex change, and wants to uh, to be a woman instead of being a uh, instead of being a man. Yeah, what would your mind do with that? I kind of came up with a small string of of uh, shocking things that people don't usually think about, or that uh, that kind of. Uh, that what you th- what you're thinking of as being uh, uh, like a little problem with indigestion, yeah, that might be fourth stage cancer. And again, I I I was suspecting I was stepping over a few boundaries <laughs> of what was considered proper in dhamma talks, but uh, I was also in a kind of Western corporation, Western sort of corporate environment. So I thought well, I can be a little bit more Western <laughs> in the approach. 
But you could also, I'm not particularly good at reading people's uh, expressions and moods, but this fellow's face was making a few changes. <laughs> there were a few adaptations. I think particularly the idea of his son telling him he wanted a sex change was... And, and then I said, you know, uh, you might think I'm, I'm just sort of pulling these things out of the air, but these, these are things that people have come to me asking for advice about, that, you know, a woman whose you know, son said, I want to be your daughter, I don't want to be your son. You know, or that uh, <clears throat> people being told, we're getting a phone call from their, their spouse telling them that, that their marriage is over. You know, the, people ask me for advice when those things have happened, so I wasn't making it up completely, but I just presenting a few of those things to say, well, you know, this is why we meditate and why it's useful to be ready to train your mind because life does create challenges and not always quite so dramatic. <laughs> but uh, the the practice of meditation uh, can give us a, uh, uh, a direct uh, perspective and a direct ability to work on the mind and to, to know its moods and to understand its moods and to help the mind to be independent independent, not relying on the world being a particular way in order for us to be happy. We're, we're able to, to deal with uh, things being shaken up. So uh, I feel that living in community, uh, this is a, a wonderful opportunity to, to get to know our own nature, to see the things that, um, where, we get, where we get caught up. When we, we say, you know, I'm a senior monk here, I'm in charge, you know, you're junior, you know, just shut up and listen. And even if th those particular words don't come out of your mouth, there might be a feeling in your heart, like, don't you know who I am? I'm the boss here, you know, how dare you? <laughs> and you can, you can feel those I emotions sort of stirring in your heart, and, and uh, you can, it gives you the opportunity to, to, to notice that, to, to see those, those reactions. Oh, look at that. That's pretty ugly, you know. What what kind of an uh, of a kind of egotistical, uh, insecure place does that come from? Hmm, look at that. Or it can be the other end of the spectrum. It's like I'm supposed to be the senior monk. I really haven't got a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I hope they don't discover that I'm totally incompetent and this is all just a fake. Uh, um, if keep my fingers crossed and touch wood, no one finds out. <laughs> thought, oh, what, what? Where does that come from? That kind of a sense of insecurity or not being qualified or not knowing what you're talking about or not being genuine yeah uh, what, where does that come from you know why why do we um, why do we uh, believe in that kind of impulse or that kind of judgment so living in community we have a really good opportunity to um, both see the different uh, reactions and judgments that, that we experience and to to be able to uh, to know them and to, to understand them, not to be, uh, say, just believing in them blindly and being uh, being sort of stuck in those ruts, but to be able to to recognize where the mind is stuck, where the mind is making a judgment, to see, oh, this is a judgment. The mind is uh, being egotistical or self-critical or is being anxious or, or is getting uh, over-excited or... Um, caught up in, in the many and various ways that, that it can be. So that it's living in community is both very challenging, it's kind of challenging to our egos, but it's most supportive to the, the practice of, of Dhamma and the, the, uh, the, particularly in the, those ways of, of uh, 
helping the mind to see the, the ruts that it is stuck in and how we can, we can break free of that. Also that uh, when we live a very self-centered life or a life so that's structured around our own opinions and preferences, we forget that other people have different characters, different dispositions, and that uh, it's really, uh, really helpful to live with other people who have different characters. You know, if you have a, um, you know, something needs to be done, okay, you just jump in and do it and go, go straight ahead. And, you know, act first and think after. That's your style. Then if you find that the person you're working with is a, mm, think three times first and then act slowly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that, that's that's their type. Then you, th then you are given an opportunity to recognize. Oh, not everybody works in the same way that I do. Not everyone else is a sort of jump first and wonder about you know, where you're going to land after. Other people like to consider carefully where they might land before they jump, and what makes my way of doing things right and good or better, and the other person's way, you know, wrong or inferior. Uh, maybe that's a good way too. Maybe uh, uh, that's a, a completely valid and useful approach. So, how can I learn from them? Uh, what can? Uh, uh, how can I adapt to work together with this this other person? So, the uh, the quality of community, I feel, is uh, one of the most powerful teaching tools, and uh, it's significant also that. Uh, when we are living in, in an environment of people who are committed to, to living skillfully, who have a, a you know, high standard of of behavior, um, that uh, it it creates the most fertile environment for, uh, for the development of the Dhamma practice, and that the, you know, the Buddha recognized this, and this is why he established monasteries, and that this whole say, training system of the Vinaya discipline, living according to the precepts, and, and uh, uh, using this as a, a training ground, because this, uh, in this way, we are able to say, recognize most fully and completely, we can live together, we can support each other, and that, that sense of um, living with like-minded people where you're all trying to... to Say, so do your best, then we, we support each other in cultivating the most sort of noble and, and beneficial qualities. If we are sort of not living with, with high-minded or, or, or sort of noble-minded people, then generally we, we just will follow the, the, the path of least resistance. We'll follow, you know, we're much more likely to follow our own you know, desires and fears and aversions and, and more worldly impulses. But by, living in a community with a, a, a communal standard of, of uh, harmlessness, of simplicity, of honesty, then we're, we're in a sense doing the best to help, e help each other to, uh, to the, uh, fulfill the potential that we have to, to make the, the very best of, of our lives. Uh, the, the Buddha, when in one of his many many, many teachings that, uh, about spiritual friendship. The one I came across a little while ago that I found was very interesting. He's talking about the, the sources of ignorance, of avijja. What, what uh, say, is the fuel for ignorance? What is that, the, the, what, um, 
adds to the that those layers of obscuration of what locks the heart into its its self concern or its feelings of conceit or arrogance or its uh, uh, believing in uh, personality view and such like. That uh, he says, uh, if you uh, if you live with good people, sapurisa sangseva, if you associate with good people, with with wise people, then that increases the opportunity for you to hear the Dhamma, to listen to the Dhamma teachings. If you spend time listening to the Dhamma teachings, this feeds the, the quality of, of faith, of sadha, uh, uh, the confidence that there is a path and that path can be developed, that there is a, a reality and it can be awakened to. So when, the, when faith is increased and strengthened, then that uh, similarly uh, strengthens the quality of wise reflection. The more the faith there is, and the more the mind's uh, ability to explore and to know and to consider and to understand accurately is is supported, is fed. The more wise reflection there is, then the more that feeds uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension, sati sampajanya. So that uh, the more the 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 the, there is wise reflection, consideration, and it helps us to be more mindful, more attuned to the time, the place, the situation. The more mindfulness and clear comprehension, uh, more intuitive wisdom there is in the mix, then the more we are naturally going to be restrained in our behavior, indriya sangwara, so that we'll be less impulsive following our feelings of aversion and, and uh, irritation or greed and desire or fear. Uh, we'll be much more likely to respond rather than react. We're, we're naturally more restrained. When the, when the quality of indriya sanghara is strengthened, that restraint is um, more powerful and more, uh, say, uh, substantial, then that <coughs> uh, reduces the mind's uh, habit of following the impulses of greed, hatred, and delusion. As greed, hatred, and delusion, the three unwholesome ro- uh, roots, as they are reduced, as if they're, they're say, they are unsupported or they're not they're not fed, that reduces the uh, the fuel, the 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 strength of the five hindrances of uh, sense, desire, ill will, uh, dullness, restlessness, and doubt, and. With the the reducing the diminishing of the five hindrances, that takes away the fuel, the support for ignorance. So there's this whole string of, of like nine different qualities in a uh, in a kind of causal chain. So right at the so and then ignorance, as we know, then that's the sort of the, the beginning of dependent origination and how the mind gets lost in particular uh, habits of of, uh, of craving and uh, leading to to more dukkha. So right at the very root of that is sapurisa sangseva, kind of spending time with good people. So if you want to to end ignorance, <laughs> choose who you spend your time with. Yeah. Don't don't ignore the fact that being with good people has a powerful effect. It helps to create an environment uh, that supports faith, that wise reflection, uh, restraint, and helps the mind to be more responsive rather than reactive and helps us to not basically not not get into trouble <laughs> so that uh, the, the buddha was uh, was uh, say very uh, prescient was was amazingly thoughtful uh, and 
skilled in creating the Vinaya discipline and the systems of training that he established all those centuries ago that are still active and, and valid, fertile today, that's, that create and uh, sustain this environment for training, realizing that yeah, if you make a kind of society of good people, <laughs> that is the, the most powerful uh, say, basis for ending ignorance. That's the most of, uh, sort of complete and effective way of depriving ignorance of its fuel. And similarly, feeding, vijja, feeding the, the quality of awakened awareness itself. That, uh, that's what supports uh, the, the, the awake mind being able to operate in a in, a, in an unobstructed and, uh, uh, say, fully embodied way. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening.